Hello, and welcome to One Single Thought, the podcast where two Christian single women take theological deep dives and bring perspectives on life, mixed with levity and joy. Heather, welcome to episode 40. 40? 40. 40! Wow. We are, we have hit the big four zero in episodes oh, we are officially middle-aged. Yes, we, where our <laughs> podcast is now officially middle-aged. So hopefully we won't have a middle-aged life, you know, midlife crisis <laughs> in the middle of this episode. Do you remember, Heather, it's been a few years ago when you and I did a memory verse challenge? I do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for the audience... What we did is that we chose a verse that we were going to memorize, and then I think it was a certain day of the week. I completely forgot about that. We could post. <laughs> we posted on each other's wall. Oh yeah. On Facebook by memory the verse, and we tagged each other. Oh yeah. It's been a long time ago, especially since Heather's a lurker now on social media. So she doesn't really. I'm post. barely on there. Now. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been trying to memorize more script not more scripture but be more intentional to memorize any scripture mm-hmm. that that has always been a challenge for me to to memorize scripture but we're going to talk today about discipleship and i think that's an important uh, aspect of our christian life mm-hmm. that helps us do the things like memorize scripture and be more in the word so Heather, why don't you talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, discipleship can be a broad subject, and that can take some time to talk about if we talk about every aspect of discipleship, what that looks like. So apart from talking about just what it is in general, what is discipleship, we're also going to focus on two general facets of discipleship and what that looks like in the life of a believer and one of that one of those things is how does discipleship play out in the community of believers so the church what does it look like to be involved in discipleship in a community and then what does it look like in our individual relationships with the lord as we are discipled in our walk with him what does that look like so in a community and then individually what does discipleship look like so that's what we're going to look at today and our one single thought, we're borrowing from Colossians 2, 6 through 7, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But our simple one single thought today is rooted and built up. Rooted and built up. All right, let's start with defining what discipleship is, Rose. I would say a, a, a simple yet thorough definition of discipleship is pouring into others training them in the word in relationship and in ministry so that they might develop as healthy believers who can walk by faith share their faith and multiply their faith so that sounds a little bit like a vision statement as long as as well as a definition Hmm. but i think it encompasses everything that we would see in discipleship Uh, discipling others means we're pouring into others and people are pouring into us we learn from the word. We build relationships. We learn how to do ministry. We, we learn how to walk by faith and, mm-hmm. and exercise our faith and multiply our faith. But even a more simpler definition would be discipleship really is becoming like more like Jesus, mm-hmm. which is what our goal is as, as believers. Mm-hmm. 
And so if we boil it down to that very simple definition, which again, I think has many elements to it, really discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So Heather, where, where do we see in scripture the command that we need discipleship? It's throughout the, the New Testament, and we'll see that for sure. Um, one particular place is in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, when Jesus gave the Great Commission to his disciples. And we know that Jesus called the 12 disciples so that he could have that close inner circle around him, but also to teach them to carry on the gospel, to spread the gospel after his resurrection. Their work wasn't done. It was just beginning once he was resurrected and ascended, and they went out and spread the good news everywhere, um, which is what his command to them was, is, was to go and evangelize and to make disciples, to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. And when we talk about disciples, there's a difference between what we would call the big D disciples not Dallas, <laughs> the Big D Disciples. <laughs> we're talking about Disciples, capital D, which were Jesus' inner circle. That were the 12 disciples. Of course, Judas betrayed Jesus, so he was removed. But then in, in Acts chapter 1, they brought in another. They cast lots, which was the last time I believe that they cast lots, because then the Holy Spirit came. But they cast lots, and... Matthias was chosen as the replacement for Judas, so he became the new 12th disciple. That's the what you call the capital D disciples, but then the lowercase d was the general term. That is anyone that is coming, that's a follower, and you can be a disciple of anything. I mean, just people have been disciples of false teachers all over history, or just disciples of any kind of ideology, but as Christians, we are disciples, lowercase d, we are disciples of Jesus, disciples of Christ. We come to follow him and to grow in him, so we are we're being made more like him and growing in our faith. So Heather, this is not really, this is not really discipleship related, Yeah, but I'm intrigued when you talked about casting lots and how that was mm-hmm. likely the last time because they had the Holy Spirit. So maybe explain to our audience how they use casting lots prior to the Holy Spirit. From what I understand, casting lots was a way that people up through the Old Testament and into the the New Testament times, how they determined a decision. If they had to make a decision, I don't think it was just a random game of chance. Like there was some providential blessing upon it. So God was part of it. And it was done by different cultures because we know that when Jonah was on the boat, when, when it was storming and the people that were not Israelites that were on the boat and they were trying to figure out what to do and they cast lots and the, the lot fell to Jonah and they cast him off the boat. Basically, it was like tossing a cup of stones out and there was a certain one that would indicate the decision they needed to make. To be honest with you, I don't really know the whole practice behind it, but once the Holy Spirit came into play in the book of Acts. That's the last time in the the New Testament that it's recorded that casting lots took place. And as you read through Acts in chapter 2, that's when the Pentecost Sunday comes, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and all the other believers. So essentially what you're saying, Heather, is prior to the Holy Spirit... God, God would sort of bless or use casting of lots 
to allow for certain decisions to be made, mm-hmm. much like they did at the foot of the cross. But once Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, casting of lots really were not needed anymore because the Holy Spirit was directing. Yes. It was basically how people determined God's will from a practical standpoint. If they had a decision to make, they would cast lots. So kind of like throwing dice, but it wasn't just a game of chance like we do flipping a coin. There was something behind it. And if we look in Acts chapter 1 when they choose Matthias as the 12th disciple, there's some indication there that this is a spiritual, Mm. there's a supernatural thing happening here. Matthias is the one to be selected. That's the way I understand it. That's helpful. And as Christians, we're not commanded to do, to cast lots because we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do that. We have the whole of scripture. We don't have to figure out what is God saying to us. We can look in the Bible. We've got the entire canon of scripture there. And there's no reason we have to use something like casting lots, which I think we have to be careful, especially these days, because something like casting lots can easily get into divination and going Mm -hmm. way off into something else that it's not even biblical. And I don't think that's something that we, we should be doing today. But just going back to other places in scripture, we also know in the in the New Testament, especially in the in the letters that Paul wrote and Peter, you see advice and admonishment to the church to continue growing, continue moving forward from what you've been taught as young believers, move on from spiritual milk into taking on the meat and really learning and growing. So those are just themes of discipleship we see all throughout the New Testament. Christians aren't expected to stay where they are. When you when you accept Christ as your Savior, you're not just to stay in that very simple belief. Accepting Jesus as your Savior, He's Lord of your life, you are living for Him, but you're not supposed to stay in that one place spiritually. You, you are continued to grow and to be sanctified and to be made like Him. And that's taking in the Word, praying, those simple tasks that we all kind of know as Christians, but then really letting that get into your heart and changing you and not just reading your verse every night before you go to bed and then not letting it really soak in and transform your life. Mm -hmm. Rose, what does discipleship look like? So we're talking about another thing is, you know, we need to be involved in a community of believers. We need to be involved in church to help us in our discipleship individually but collectively, what does that look like in the body of Christ? I think a lot of people don't think of this as discipleship, but it definitely is if you're in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And that is the weekly Sunday sermon. We, te- we sit under great preachers and teachers at our church. Our pastor, Dr. Cook, mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, today, we actually were blessed to hear from Dr. T.J. Betts, who we've had on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He preached today. Well, Dr. Kick was out of town, but there's a lot of discipleship that comes from the pulpit. And if you're in a rich Bible teaching church, it's going to be grounded in scripture and it's going to cause you to want to get more into the scripture or maybe even delve more into the passage that was preached on, on mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, as a communications team member of our church, uh, we have now begun to post on social media each week, the Sunday sermon passage. We post that so that everyone can read ahead. So for example, today's sermon came out of Psalm 139, 
13 mm -hmm. through 18. When we posted it this week, we just said, you know, the passage would come from Psalm 139. And so you can read and read ahead. And that's discipleship. That's you're taking time to read that scripture before you go into service. And so you allow the Lord to, to speak to you through that passage before Sunday. I think another way we do it in the community of believers is through what we would traditionally call Sunday school. At our church, we call it Bible fellowship groups. But these are simply the Sunday morning Bible study times that you have at your church. Mm -hmm. A lot of churches do home groups instead of Sunday morning small groups. But for the, the majority of churches, usually you have some sort of either Sunday morning or home groups that where you dive into the word. And you're typically, in our case, at our church, we're an age graded or, or gender graded mm -hmm. type classes. So... Heather and I are in the ladies class and we're multi-generational, but we're all women. Some of our Bible fellowship groups are uh, couple classes. They're age graded. So they are um, segmented through stages of life. So people might be in a class that are all empty nesters, or they might be in a class where they're all young, young couples and they're having children, <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. of children. So they have a commonality and they study the word together and relationships are built. And within those, most of our classes have what are called community groups. So they break down even smaller within that group and allow you to get to know people and have accountability with those that are in your, your class. Also small group discipleship, and that can look a lot of different ways. For our church, we typically do it on Wednesday night. We call it D groups for discipleship mm. groups. But a lot of times it can be done in a, in a multitude of ways. As people could get together and decide just mm -hmm. individually that a group of ladies might want to go through a book in mm -hmm. the Old Testament. Um, there were three guys recently, our pastor of communications and discipleship, and two other men that, that met, um, I believe it was last Friday night, and they read out loud the book of Revelation together. Hmm. There's groups like that that can just form. And I believe that's that's discipleship. Um, I know there's a men's prayer group that meets on Friday nights, and it's a mixture of generations and different stages of life, and, and they pray, and that's another form of discipleship. And then we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but there's also one-to-one, -one, you know, when people meet with someone on a one-to-one -one basis, it, that's more kind of intense discipleship, or I would mm -hmm. call life-to-life -life discipleship. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of way, but that sometimes those come right out of the community of believers. So for example, right now I disciple quite a few girls and most of them either are at our church at ninth and O or they were at ninth and O and that is kind of how the relationships started. So Heather, when do you think it's best to do one-on-one -on -one discipleship? I would agree that it's, there's definitely a proper time, especially when someone is a new believer. If someone has just accepted Christ, they're brand new. They don't know anything. They need someone to come along beside them and teach them. And hopefully they're in, involved in large group studies and coming to worship and all of that and hearing the good preaching. But it is important for so for example, you know, we would say that it's good for, you know, for a woman to be discipling another woman, man to a man. There's all kinds of problems that can come between mm. yes, <laughs> having yeah. a co-ed discipleship. But 
I think especially in the beginning when someone first accepts Christ, it's very important that someone comes beside them for a season and helps them get on their feet and understand what they're doing and then just kind of stays in touch with them. And also there's times when life gets really hard and you might be going through a really rough time for a period and you need someone to come to you if they're if you're struggling with something if you're in a crisis to come alongside you and help you through that and give you direction someone say that's all you really need that the focused discipleship should just happen because there's especially when you're in a large church it's really hard to having having everybody connected with somebody it's really hard to to do that but I would say that there are seasons, even if you're not a, maybe you've been a believer for 20 years and maybe you're not really going through a crisis at the moment when you really just need to have somebody pouring into your life saying, hey, what is the Lord teaching you? Where do you need to grow? How can I help you through that? And maybe it's not a formal sit down every week or every month where you're going through a book or something like that or specific study. But maybe you just have a really good friendship, maybe an accountability partner, or maybe somebody that's just... I mean, Rose, I would say you're that for me, even mm. though I don't think we've intentionally done that. Right. No. <laughs> but I think, you know, as you know, you're much older than me, biologically older than me, but then also, you know, I think you've gone through some things I've not been through. So I think a lot of times I can look up to you as a spiritual sister. And, you know, I, for me, I've been able to be that to other people, but not like a one-to-one... We're going to sit down for an hour every week and go through the book of Nehemiah. And, you know, so there's a different kind of discipleship there that I think is also very important. When is the best time? I think there's not a specific time. Definitely when there's a new believer. Definitely if you're going through something. But I think we should always have that attitude of being willing to disciple others when the time comes up, if there's an opportunity there. And I think you disciple people just Mm -hmm. in the way you love on people and... Mm -hmm. Like, I think about, like, Lindsay, you've loved on her. You've been very close to her. You and she are about the same difference that we are. I'm a little bit older mm-hmm. than, than you than you are of Lindsay. Mm-hmm. But I know she see, sees you as a, as a best friend and a great friend, but also probably as someone she can turn to. Just even our ladies in our class, I mean, I'll say this because Heather would never, but she ministers to our ladies in mm-hmm. ways that I think model discipleship, even though, like she said, it's not a... Well, let's sit down and go through a book and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she does that just in her in in a way that is the discipling situation i mean we have ladies in our class who have grown up in difficult circumstances and don't have mothers and i think in a lot of ways no matter the ages in our class we all sort of pour into those mm-hmm. and heather does that and i think you could i mean if you've been a christian for a long time and there's a lady from from our perspective, there's a lady that comes along who is much older than you, but is new in the, her faith. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with a younger woman coming along and saying, "Hey, you know, let me let me show you some things. What the scripture is really saying here." And you can do that respectfully, as an, if, if you're approaching an elder. But if somebody's brand new in the faith, I don't think there's anything wrong if you're a younger, stronger believer mm, I agree. to yeah. come alongside her. Or him, if you're a guy. So yeah. I think that's that's quite appropriate. And there's a way to do it where you're being being like I said, you can be respectful of their age. Yes. <laughs> without <laughs> without like trying to undermine them. So and then we're talking about one to one discipleship. Rose, what is our role and responsibility in that? 
one-to-one. I believe that every believer should be being discipled, and every believer should be discipling. Mm. You know, the formats of what that looks like is different. I mean, we just kind of talked a little bit about that, but, you know, we all should be learning. And so, for example, like I said earlier, I mean, if you're a believer and you're not attending Sunday services, mm-hmm. you're not in a small group learn, teach that's teaching the Bible, I mean, then, you know, you're not willing, you're not wanting to grow in Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't necessarily mean that every believer needs to be one-to-one disciple, but I definitely feel like every believer should be under teaching and discipleship. Mm-hmm. And... I think as you grow, then you use your abilities and the things you've learned to help disciple others. And like you mentioned earlier, Heather, mm-hmm. age aside, you know, if you're farther ahead in your journey with the Lord than someone else, you can be a discipler for them. There's a really classic b- book, and it's very small. It's by Michael Card, the a musician. Musician. Mm-hmm called The Walk, and he uses that book to describe a relationship he had with a mentor in his life, and he talks a lot about how it's just, it's a walk, it's just the walk of, Mm. you know, learning to walk with the Lord, but you just have to be a little bit further along that journey to be able to help someone else. Now, some people have, have said that everybody should have a Paul, everybody should be a Barnabas, and everybody Mm -hmm. needs a Timothy. To give background on those those folks, Paul, of course, wrote a majority of the New Testament, and he was probably the, the most, the greatest evangelist that ever lived, and mm-hmm. he would travel often in the beginning of his missionary journeys with Barnabas. Barnabas was, his name means encouragement, an encourager, and that's what Barnabas was to Paul, so Paul had a person by his side to encourage him. Timothy was like a little brother to Paul. And Paul would teach him how to disciple others, to teach others the gospel, and then how to lead others and at various churches. For example, the books that the letters he wrote to first, second Timothy to Timothy mm-hmm. talk a lot about structure of a local church, what it looks like. And the the letter to Titus was to the the people in, in mm-hmm. I believe they were in Crete. You know, Timothy learned from Paul through these letters. And so I think we look at our life and we say, okay, who, who am I, who am I looking to for my growth and my discipleship? And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not in a one-to-one for my own self, but I have many accountability people in my life who I share things with to hold me accountable. Heather, you're one of those people. I've got a lot of other people that I do that with. And although I'm not getting quote unquote officially discipled, they're holding me accountable and I'm, I'm you know, sharing sin with them or whatever it might be talking through, you know, theological questions or just life philosophical questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Heather listens to my ramblings all the time. <laughs> I think, you know, who am I being a Barnabas to? Who am I encouraging? Who am I cheering along that maybe I'm not necessarily, you know, discipling them, but I'm cheering them on them and giving them encouragement in their walk with the Lord um, this week, I did. A spe- I'm doing a special program for eight weeks through a local college here in Louisville. Called, it's Bellarmine University, and they do about twice a year. They do an eight week PT with amputees, specifically with amputees, and they take the students 
into this environment where they can learn how it's different to do physical mm-hmm. therapy with an amputee. So um, my friend Elaine, who's in our class, who's also a, a above knee amputee, took me this past week and she's been through it. And so she was very excited to go. And one of part of my assessment this week is the first two sessions have been on assessment was for me to walk for six minutes. Now, y'all, that to a regular person, that would be like walking 60 minutes without stopping. Yeah, and you had a walker, right? I had a walker, correct. Mm-hmm. And I could stop and take standing breaks, but if I sat down, then that would be, that would start the clock over. I did it, but when I sat down, I sounded like I had just ran a marathon. Mm-hmm. But as I did it, I couldn't talk, and the PT PTs that were in training couldn't talk to me. They just talked to each other about marking mm-hmm. my times and laps and all that. But Elaine was sitting there on the sidelines, and periodically she would cheer me on, and that was just a picture of like a Barnabas, you know, a visual mm-hmm. of, of the walk with Christ. I mean, we get tired, we want to give up, and you have those Barnabases that cheer you on. And then you think about who's my Timothy, who is someone that is younger in the faith that I could be pouring into. And listen, y'all, this is my passion. And I currently meet with three girls one-on-one, and I absolutely love it. And it is, I would do it all day, every day. But there is someone, think about in your life, who can you be pouring into? Who can you be investing into? And I would say, pray about that if you if you want to seek out those people. And just pray that the Lord would, would op- give you an opportunity. And if you are someone younger in the faith, and you're like, I want to be discipled, then I would pray that God would open a door. And don't be afraid to approach somebody. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they might seem unequipped or not worthy, but honestly, those are going to be the best people to disciple you because they're going to come honest and open with you. Mm -hmm. You know, our role and responsibility is to figure out where do we, where do we land there and what are we doing? You know, we have been given such a gift in the Holy Scriptures and the teachings from that and from other wiser scholars than us. And we should be we should want to continue on leaving that legacy behind us. Heather, we mentioned uh, our one single thought earlier, and we mentioned where that can, that comes from the passage. So why don't you talk a little bit about that passage? So our one single thought is rooted and built up, and that comes from Colossians two, six through seven. And that says, So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. And just to understand the context, Paul's addressing the church in Colossae. And he's charging them to stand firm in what they've been taught to grow in their relationship with Christ. Because they're in this culture of that area that's pulling them in a different direction. So there's bad philosophies bad teachings that they're hearing that are pulling them away. And so what he's doing is telling, he's telling them to remain strong, remain rooted in what you know is the truth, what we've, what we've taught you as Christians, what you should know, what are the foundations of your faith, remain connected in that body of believers. So you shouldn't go off by yourself doing your own thing. You have to stick together, especially in the culture you live in. When we do that, when we stay when you think of a tree where its roots are deep down into the ground, it's not going to easily be toppled over. You're staying connected to the foundation, but then also staying connected to the body of believers, to other Christians, 
in your church, in the church as a whole, we're able to grow together to um, make sure that we are in the word, but then understanding it correctly and applying it correctly and not going off on our own and misinterpreting. There's all kinds of reasons why church is important, but that's why we need each other. We need, we need each other for discipleship. And especially now, I mean, the Colossians, that was thousands of years ago, but it's very applicable today because we get all kinds of bad, bad ideologies and philosophies we face today that are very anti-biblical. And as Christians, we need each other. We need each other to help each other. So remain rooted in your faith and built up. Rose, tell us your one random thought, please. My one random thought, or my one singing thought is, The greatest love of all. You know, before you go into explaining explaining why you're singing that, (laughs) I would say that song is an example of a bad philosophy that Paul is trying to warn us about. Really? Because it's about self-love and how yes. that's the greatest love of all. That is not true. That is that is not true. No. Notice I cut it off after I said the greatest love of all. And I don't go any further. <laughs> so when we Continue. think about the greatest love of all, it is not what that song talks about. But it is about laying your life down for your brother or sister. Giving your life for someone. Obviously the greatest love of all was Jesus who gave his life for us. But I wanted to talk about the 12 disciples. So we know, as Heather pointed out earlier, Jesus betrayed Jesus and then he hung himself. So he was excluded from the final 12. And of the final 12, Mm. 10 of the 12 disciples were martyred. That's crazy. Mm. I mean, if you read through any gospel, you see how the disciples just didn't understand. But once Jesus died and resurrected and they began the the first church the gospel became real to them and so they were willing to die for it and so 10 disciples were martyred and john was the one that was not and he lived to an old age and he wrote the book of revelation while he was exiled on the isle of patmos so the greatest love of all is laying your life down Mm. giving your life for another and that's what the disciples did so heather what's our one ricky thought today well, my one Ricky thought is also a singing thought. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> la, 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 la. Kitty school dropout. <laughs> uh, no graduation day for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I had to drop out of cat school. <laughs> oh, we weren't doing Ricky's it. a dropout. He's a kitty school dropout. Because... It's $25 a month, which is not that expensive, but when you're not using it, you're just paying $25 for nothing, which is true of anything, Netflix, whatever you spend money on and you realize you're not spending it correctly or why you're not spending your money wisely. So I paused it. I might go back one day, but poor Ricky is just going to be stuck in the third grade for, (laughs) I don't know how long because he doesn't want to learn the tricks. I've tried teaching him. He's not interested. He just flops down on the floor and looks at me like I'm crazy. Well, so he's a, a lot, dropout. You've got a lot going on this year. So yeah, I do. We talked about last week. You're gonna be looking. You're looking for a job. Mm-hmm. But also, it's something else new this year that's gonna take a lot of your time away from training Ricky for cat school. Yeah, I decided to go back to seminary. <laughs> 
Well, actually, I okay. So I started several years ago because I, I went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. late '90s, early 2000s, and then you know I was working at my my company for many years, and then probably about actually it was probably close to 10 years ago. I felt like I got really interested in apologetics, and I went to a few conferences with a friend of mine. And it's through Southern Evangelical Seminary mm-hmm. in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was founded by Norman Geisler, who is a um, stalwart figure in the world of apo- Christian apologetics. So if you don't know, if you're not into apologetics, which is basically basically giving a reason for why you believe what you believe mm-hmm. and understanding what Christianity is, but then also being able to defend that, I felt Back then, I felt like you know I should do this. I should go to, go back to school and learn like learn apologetics, where I can actually talk to people and be able to reason with them. And so I did that for probably about two years, and then I dropped out, just like I dropped just like skinny school, school. Uh, because I was pursuing stuff with work and trying to get um, just some practical stuff that I could use to grow my career. Because I'm not wasn't planning to do any kind of ministry related anything. I just needed something to help me get along in the world. So finally, I guess last, last fall, this past fall, I just felt, you know, that I need to go back and finish what I started with that. So I'm going to go back and I've got some credits already. So I'm just working towards another, yet another, (laughs) another master's degree in, uh, in apologetics and theology. And just to finish that up, so I don't actually have that much left. I'm probably about halfway through, I guess. I've always regretted dropping out of it. So I think it's a good thing. I really felt like the Lord was, it seemed like the Lord is leading me in that direction. And then of course, then I found out I was getting laid off. So, <laughs> but I'm just taking one class at a time and when I'm able and we'll see what happens. So it might take me a while to get through it, but. So because of that, she doesn't have time to be training a Ricky, who's not interested in this at all. But the bonus for us is that her studies could help us form some future podcast episodes. So I'm excited about that. Yes. All right. But anyway, back to Ricky. I just, yeah, he's he's a good boy. We're just going to have to put that on hold. One day we'll get back to it and Ricky will be doing backflips and jumping through hoops and flaming. (laughs) Flaming hoops. Flaming hoops and all all that. But anyway, let's move on to our one single question. Our one single question today is what book would you recommend to someone to help them grow in Christ? So Heather, what is your book that you would recommend? Or books. You can list more than one. I'll just list one because there's too many. Um, But one book that I've read a few times, and you might think I'm crazy, but you don't have to read it in the original Old English. (laughs) It's... (laughs) Pilgrim's Progress, which was written in 1678. It's by John Bunyan. But they do have modern English versions. But I highly recommend, if you've never read it, to read it. Because it is an allegory of the Christian life. Mm. It goes from... the So the main character is named Christian. And it's right before he... Is, he begins his journey as a Christian and it starts with him carrying this burden on his back. He's carrying a backpack around essentially and it's his progression of his Christian life from 
from the very beginning when he realizes he needs salvation and then all the way through and it's basically like what sanctification looks like because he meets all these different characters and all the characters have these weird names like Mr. Worldly Wise Man and all these which their names kind of indicate their character so you know oh this is somebody that's going to be nefarious or this is somebody that's going to be a friend to him or something like that he has a good friend named Faithful so he goes through all these places and there's like the sloth of despond and these places that when they go when you when he goes through them you kind of know what he's going to experience probably one of the best scenes is when he loses his burden which which is when the allegory is to when we receive Christ as savior and the backpack falls off his back and rolls down the hill and falls into this sepulcher or a tomb mm. and rolls away. So it's very powerful, but you just got to kind of get through it. And they have audio versions, which if you don't like to read, especially old books, hearing it read is very helpful too. I do that sometimes. But it's just a really good book just to kind of get a poetic picture of what the Christian life looks like. And there's it's just really, really encouraging in a lot of ways. Sounds like it would really obviously be good for even a new believer that, mm-hmm. or maybe somebody who's not a believer mm-hmm. to discuss with because it sort of mm-hmm. shows the path to salvation. Yeah. For sure. Rose, what is your book or books? I will list two because like you said there are many but my first two or the two I would probably recommend first is Woman, Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. And mm. this book is a great book to teach you how to study the Bible. Jen Wilkin is one of my heroes. I love her. And this book uses the book of James and teaches you how to study the Bible. Mm. On your own, you don't have to have any books, Bible studies or whatever. So I think it'd be great for, it's great for individual learning but it's also great if you were going to sit down with somebody and help them learn how to study the bible you could do it together Mm. or individually the other book is called you're a theologian by jt english and jen wilkins so theme here both Mm. these books are but have jen wilkins as an author but jt and jen do a podcast together with kyle worley called knowing faith and it's it's really good if you like to deep dive into theology But JT and Jen wrote this book on You Are a Theologian, and they talk about various things like doctrine, and it's just a really good book that takes some, maybe what some people would consider, you know, heavier or harder topics, and they boil them down very easily, and they teach you that you are a theologian. We're all theologians. If we Mm -hmm. study the Word, we're theologians. So those would be the two that I would recommend up front to someone who's looking to grow in Christ. That's good. And I'll link all these books in the show notes as well, so you can see see where to get them on Amazon. Great. Yeah, those are sound good. I think I've started reading the Women of the Word. Um, I have not finished it, though. It's in the pile of pile of, pile of 100 yes. books I have that yes. I need to read. That wraps up our episode for today. We'll be back in two weeks. We, uh, we're going to start going into some of the minor and major prophets. Maybe if not all of them, but not all in one episode. No, not all in one episode. No, <laughs> I think we're going to try to go chronologically. Yeah, as best as we can. As best research. as we can figure it out. Yes. Yes. So we we will continue on that path, and we will be back with you on February seventh. And until next time.
Don't follow your heart, follow God. We hope you've enjoyed One Single Thought. Our theme music is provided by Lindsay Cook, and we're so happy you joined us. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review our podcast so more people can find us and join our tribe of listeners. 